even if online. God bless. Hope you're all doing well around Guangzhou. No matter what is your lockdown situation, we know that the Lord is with us. So we're going to get ready to share the word today. And before we begin, I just have a couple of questions to toss out. You're welcome to answer these uh, in your lighthouse to each other, or you can type them in the chat box. So don't go to sleep. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, engagement expected at this point. So the first question, what are some of the characters in the Bible who did a lot of walking? You can uh, type them out in the chat box or share in your lighthouse. Who did a lot of walking? Moses. Jesus. Elijah. Abraham. Okay, some really good answers there. Paul, uh, okay, Enoch, many good ones. Now, another question, which one of these characters spent a lot of time in the wilderness? You can also share briefly in your lighthouse or type it in. And I see basically all the same ones. <laughs> Jesus, Moses, David, uh, Abraham, okay, John. So the answer is actually almost all of them. Uh, did you ever stop and think about before how many characters in the Bible spent a lot of time in the wilderness? It seems that many of the great men of faith spent a lot of time in the wilderness and had very important experiences there. Moses spent 80 years of his life in the wilderness. Uh, before Jesus started his public ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, John the Baptist spent much of his life in the wilderness. There's something about the wilderness that seems to make it a fertile ground for a person to focus on the Lord. There are few distractions, a few worldly pleasures, a few comforts, few people. A person can be alone with God. And it is also a testing place, a place to build a foundation and a godly character. So today we're going to look at a character from Hebrews who spent around 8 to 13 years, it's estimated, as a fugitive. And much of that time was in the wilderness. And only one or two people mentioned this one. Give me one moment to bring up my PPT. Okay, so that is David. And so the message today will be about David. He walked in the wilderness with God. Our theme this year is walking with Jesus. And we are in the middle of a series from Hebrews 11, where we are talking about a number of the men and women of faith in Scripture. And so today our focus will be on David. And David uh, has many, many events. You could probably preach a 50 or 100 part series on David. We're just going to focus today on the time that he had in the wilderness as a fugitive. Uh, the key text for today is from Hebrews 11, 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, 
became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Many of those things apply to David. Also, Hebrews 11.38 continues, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Definitely a phrase that applies to David in his time in the wilderness. So before we get into the text, let us pray and ask the Lord to bless this time that we have now. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We thank you, Lord, for your word, your word, Lord, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it now. Lord, help us not to be distracted, Lord, by anything else. We pray that uh, technology would cooperate so that we can speak and hear your message very clearly. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work in our hearts, Lord, uh, that our hearts would be fertile ground, that the seed would be planted and would grow. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would hunger for you more after today, that we would thirst for you more, that you alone would satisfy us. We pray your hand of blessing on this time. Lord, help us to draw close to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to focus on David's wilderness years. And first, we're just going to have a very short uh, bio, if you will, of David's life up to that point and how he ended up in the wilderness. So for the pre-wilderness years, uh, first of all, David's name means beloved, and he was definitely beloved of the Lord. We talked about recently his ancestry and family life. He was a great-grandchild of Boaz and Ruth. He was also descended from Rahab and Salmon. Uh, here's a short uh, little family tree about David. If you look up, you can see both Rahab and Ruth and also Tamar were in his family line. He was born around 1040 BC, probably. So, Another question, and this one you can also put in the chat, whose name is mentioned in the Bible more than any other? Here's a bit of Bible trivia. Can again answer in your lighthouse or answer in the group chat. Let's see how many people can get the right answer. Whose name is mentioned in the Bible more than any other? And it has to be the specific name, not a form of the name. Okay, so we have Abraham. God, Jesus, predicted. No takers for David? Well, actually, those who mention Jesus are correct. Uh, even though it's a sermon of David, that you can seldom go wrong answering Jesus to any uh, question when it comes to questions in church. So Jesus is, in fact, the most. However, David is very close behind. David is mentioned in the Bible only seven times fewer than Jesus that is by name, 983 times. So he's a very, very important character in the Bible. And obviously, we don't have time to go over all 983 times today, uh, but we will just hit a few of the highlights. So for David, he was a shepherd, as you know, and Saul was king. And God told Samuel to go and anoint someone else to be king. And we see that in 1 Samuel 16, 12, and 13, 
And he sent and brought him in. That's David. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So David was the youngest of his brothers, and he was a young man and a shepherd when he was anointed to be the king of Israel. David was probably a believer already before this, but this is the point where his walk with the Lord is first recorded in the Bible. And it really starts with a bang. He was a simple shepherd. He was watching over the sheep in the fields, and then he was called in, and suddenly he was anointed as king. Surely everything would go smoothly after this, right? After all, God had chosen him. And things did go smoothly for a while. First, he started serving Saul in the palace. So he was serving at the king's court, a good place for potential advancement and promotion. Uh, we know well the story that David defeated Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. He became close friends with Prince Jonathan and all the people sang David's praises. There's a verse in 1 Samuel 18, 7. It says, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So from very early on in David's life, he was developing a reputation. He had a position. He was becoming famous and it looked like everything was on the path that he would become king even soon, just as God had said that when he, went, when he was anointed. Everything seemed to be going well. However, in some ways, it went a little bit too well for David because it was these very things that stoked, David, that stoked Saul's jealousy toward him. And then the wilderness years began. Now, David might have expected that his journey would be easy God chose him. God anointed him. He was going to be king. But the final destination was actually a long, long way off. Saul had turned against David and wanted to kill him. So David had to run for his life. He would spend, depending on different scholars' estimates, uh, roughly 8 to 13 years as a fugitive of Saul. Now, these journeys would take him through the wilderness. He hid in caves. He escaped around mountains. He lived out in the elements under the sun, the heat, and the rain. He often lacked food. He was under constant threat of spies finding him out and reporting him. And during all this time, he had to provide for himself and also for the men that gathered around and followed him. Eventually, he even fled the promised land and pretended to be a madman in front of a foreign king. So what was going on? God had anointed David as king, a great privilege, a great blessing. But his life surely didn't look like he was about to be king. Why did God allow David to go through the wilderness years? Had he changed his mind? Of course, he didn't. God had a purpose in this. Now, the Lord could have deposed Saul at any time. Uh, it's clear that in God's divine providence, he allowed and he planned for David to spend these years in the wilderness to teach him some important lessons which he needed to know in order to be a faithful follower of the Lord. 
and to be a wise king. So to see those lessons, we are going to look at two passages today. One is a psalm that David wrote while he was fleeing as a fugitive. And the other is an account of an encounter he had with Saul. So the psalm is Psalms 63. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Amen. What a beautiful psalm that David wrote while he was fleeing in the wilderness. So we're going to look at one key point from this, and that is that David was growing with God. And we're going to look at four different ways from Psalm 63 that David was growing with God while he was in the wilderness. And the first is from Psalm 63, 1 and 2. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. The wilderness developed in David a thirst for God. Now, David had a nice life before. He was a general in the army. People looked up to him. People wrote songs about him and sang his praises. He had a good position in the king's court. He could enjoy the delicacies of the king's table. But then he lost all of that. But note David's attitude in Psalm 63 and in these verses He's not pleading with God to restore his position. He's not daydreaming about the food that he used to eat or the position that he used to have. It says that he earnestly sought the Lord. He thirsted for God. The Lord's presence was like living water to his very soul. He desired the Lord as a person who's wandered for days in the desert longs for water. Now, perhaps it is this deep desire of David for God that was at least one of the reasons that he was called a man after God's own heart. We see David had a rich personal walk with the Lord. His faith was not theoretical. His desire to be with the Lord caused him to spend great amounts of time praying. And he wrote, I think it was over 70 of the Psalms, and many of these were written while he was in the wilderness. 
He wrote hymns of praise. He meditated on God and his goodness. So we can say that even though David had a lot of time, it seems that he used his time well to draw closer to the Lord. David had lost all of the extraneous things in his life. And it showed him what was really important. Now, even in the desert with little food and no comfort and no roof over his head, he could be happy. He could be joyful because God was there with him. It's much like Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 3, that even if he were to come to his farm and find all the sheep, all the cattle gone, all of the orchards producing no fruit, all of the uh, crops failed, then he will still rejoice in the Lord. This is what David seems to be doing. And that teaches us a lesson that joy is not dependent on circumstances. Sometimes we think if I just have this or if I just have that, then I will be happy. Then I'll be content. Normally when we get those things, we find out very quickly they don't satisfy. And often we move on to the next thing, which we think can bring us joy. But the only one who can bring us true joy is the Lord. Looking back at my own life, I can remember the times when I think I probably thirsted for God the most. The worst pain I ever experienced was was an infection, and it caused such amount of pain that I remember I was just laying in bed, curled up, crying. I couldn't help it. It hurt so badly that there was really nothing else I could do. It was a raging 24-7 pain going on for days, probably over a week, that almost prevented me from thinking of anything else. And during those moments, I couldn't do much. I could only cry out to the Lord. And sometimes God takes us through times of trial to remind us that we need him, to remind us that he is the one who satisfies our souls in not this world. So what are you thirsting for? Can you say that you are earnestly seeking after him? Too often, the world satisfies us. We seek after things. We seek after pleasure and entertainment. We set our mind on food and sports and games and movies and leisure and shopping and gadgets and investments and bank accounts and clothing and all kinds of worldly, temporal things. This is what our minds are often thinking about and focusing on. Oh, that we would say we thirst for him. We are hungry for him, not for anything that the world has to offer. Now, it could be that if we keep doing all of that, God will take it all away, as he did with David, and lead us through the wilderness to train us to thirst for him. We need to make sure that we are also thirsting for God and not just for the things which God gives. Yes, when God gives us nice things, we say, thank you, Lord, for the good gifts that you've given to us. But sometimes we seem to care more about the things than we do about our relationship with God himself. Let us pray that the Lord will give us new desires and a new heart to stop being so easily satisfied with trivial things in this world and to look to our Heavenly Father to satisfy us with his presence and with his spirit. I know for myself, I need that much more. And I need the Lord to give me a new heart in this. 
The second lesson that we can learn from David and how he was growing with God in the wilderness is that there he was taught that God's love is better than life. This verse 3 in Psalm 63 is so amazing. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David's life had been upended. He had lost his position, his job, his livelihood, his friend, uh, Jonathan. He was separated from, he was separated from his wife and he was constantly in danger of losing his life. Now going through all of these trials had taught David that God's love was more valuable than all of these things. We can contrast David's attitude with Saul's. Saul actually had all of the things that David didn't have. He had power, uh, position, riches. He was king while David was a fugitive. But none of this was enough for Saul. His heart was empty. All of the things which he had left him unsatisfied and unfulfilled. He wanted more. He compared himself to David and was jealous, and that jealousy drove him to a blind rage. So it's interesting that Saul had everything in the world's eyes, but was empty, and David had nothing, but was full. David had the Lord, and Saul didn't. First Samuel sixteen fourteen says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. This was after Saul had disregarded God's commands and rebelled against him. So the Lord left him. Saul was trying to find other ways to satisfy himself. And he ended up empty, a shell, very, very sad story. Saul, God had blessed him with so much. And yet he ended up to be a very, very sad shell of what he could have been. David, on the other hand, had learned the secret of contentment, which Paul also talks about in Philippians 4, 12 through 13. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's the secret? I believe the secret is to have a close relationship with the Lord, to value God's love more than the things of this world. When you want the things of this world, you cannot possibly be content when you don't have them. And actually, you won't be content when you have them either because you will find that they don't satisfy. But when you are satisfied in the Lord, then whether you have a lot or little, you can be satisfied and you can be content. Troy should be happy. I have a Spurgeon quote today. Spurgeon on David said, there was no desert in his heart, talking about David, though there was a desert around him. We too may expect to be cast into rough places. In such seasons, may the eternal comforter abide with us and cause us to bless the Lord at all times, making even the solitary place to become a temple for Jehovah. There was no desert in his heart because he had a relationship with the Lord. And that is what satisfied him during that time. Now, it may be that God is taking you through a wilderness of hard times. Perhaps it could be facing financial struggles, maybe health challenges, 
Perhaps COVID has caused a lot of challenges for you, as we know for many in the fellowship it has. Maybe it's prevented you from moving on to further studies or getting a better job or just having lengthy quarantines as our brother Emmanuel is just facing. During these times, let's not get angry or bitter or upset, but realize that God may be using these hard times, and in fact, almost certainly is, to teach us how to appreciate his love. He might be stripping away all of the other things which we tend to value so that we will learn to value him more than anything else. Now, I hope that each one of us will be able to come to the point in time where we can truly say that his love is better to me than life. The third way that we see David growing with God is that the wilderness helped David learn to meditate on God without distraction. Psalm 63, 6 says, When I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now, cities are loud, filled with hustle and bustle. There's noise everywhere. There's stuff to do. There's errands. There are people to see. Lots of people and lots of distractions. And I think modern day cities are even much louder and more distracting than the ancient ones that David faced. Last week, I was trying to do a video recording And about three to four times during the recording, a loudspeaker was coming around the neighborhood saying, go get your COVID test. It was kind of distracting. Horns and music, shouts, uh, smartphones can be very distracting in a lot of ways. And so there's a reason that Jesus went out to the wilderness to pray so that he could get away from all of those distractions. Luke 5.16 says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It was a place that he could escape distraction, have a quiet time of fellowship with his father. Now, most people don't actually choose or like to go to the wilderness. So for David, it wasn't really his choice, but God put him there because he knew that he needed that time to prepare him in some ways for being king. Now, David didn't pine away in the boring and quiet desert, complaining that he was far away from civilization. Instead, he used that time to develop a deep and personal walk with God. And that helped prepare him for his future reign as king. He spent a lot of time in prayer, in journaling, writing all types of hymns in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the night when he was assigned guard duty. It says when he uh, was on the watches in the night, then he would spend that time to meditate on the Lord. Out in the wilderness, just with the stars, everything totally quiet, he could spend that time meditating on God's goodness. Definitely a lot better than meditating on the unfair situation he was in with Saul. Here are a few of the Psalms that were likely written while David was a fugitive. You could uh, screenshot those if you like and go and have a further study uh, later on. It can be a challenge for us to find a place to have a quiet time free of distraction with the Lord. We have full schedules. We have smartphones. uh, We have children. We have lots of things that take up our time. But we need to make a priority out of this and make a way. 
Jesus found a way, even though he was very, very busy and there were crowds around him all the time. He snuck away from the crowds. We need to have a quality, quiet time with the Lord as well. And we need that each day. And sometimes we should also have some very intentional times of retreat where we can spend more extended, quiet time with him away from distractions. So maybe today the application for you could be very, very simple. And that might be when you have your quiet time, just give your spouse or your roommate your phone and tell them, under no circumstances are you to give this back to me for the next 30 minutes. And then have your quiet time with the Lord free of distraction. We need to prioritize that in our life because it's really only that time alone with the Lord that we can grow. David could have spent 50 years in the wilderness, but if he wasn't focused on his relationship with the Lord and meditating on God, he wouldn't have grown at all. The fourth way that David grew with God in the wilderness was that it caused him to cling to the Lord rather than to people. Psalm 63, 8 says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. One obvious fact about the wilderness is there are not a lot of people there. David was separated from his wife, Michal. Uh, he had said goodbye to his best friend. And the people that gathered around him were rough and tough. And many of them were fugitives as well. David was on the run and he couldn't have the same kind of regular interaction or fellowship with others that he had before. So in some ways, it was a very lonely life for David, I think. But this loneliness is actually one thing that drove him to the Lord. Uh, here you can see a population density map uh, there on the right, and white is the least populous. And if you compare that on the left, you will notice very obviously that where there are deserts, there are not a lot of people. And that was the same for David. There weren't many people around, but there the Lord was always there and the Lord was always present. So it was a place that he could draw close to and cling to the Lord and not to people. I think if you see that very dark red dot in uh, South China, we're definitely over there somewhere. So David was separated from many of the closest people in his life. The people that he may have clung to and drawn strength from were far away. Uh, people that should have been his friends and supporters were betraying him, spying on him, and pursuing him. So what did David do? Well, he clung to the Lord. The Lord was his constant. It doesn't take long reading through the Psalms to see some of the words David uses to describe his relationship with the Lord. Uh, words like rock and shield and refuge and fortress. He clung to the Lord. That was his protection. The people around would disappoint David throughout his entire life, but God never did. There's an application for us here as well. Do we cling to people or do we cling to the Lord? When we have a problem or a difficulty, do we go to share with people first or do we go to the Lord? People come and go. Uh, it's likely that many of you have friends who have left China in the past couple of years and moved on. Our dear brother Lero and his family are moving on like so many others have in the last couple of years. Maybe that makes you feel 
perhaps a bit sad, a bit empty. Uh, certainly there is some sadness associated with that. However, it's also a reminder to us that God hasn't moved on, that he is still here and that he is the number one priority. He is the number one relationship and fellowship that we have. And fellowship with people should not replace our fellowship with God. So in times when your friends move on, then we can also remember God hasn't. He is still here. And we can draw even closer to him to get strength from him. Many of you are far away from your families and the support that they give. And I believe that God wants to use this time, perhaps while you are far away from them here in this country, to teach you to cling to him. People come and go. Sometimes they disappoint. God never does. Fellowship with people should not replace our fellowship with him. So this is the things I want to share from Psalm 63 about growing with God. But another aspect of David's life that he learned was to wait for God. Uh, and we see that in 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 7, I will briefly share about this other uh, encounter David had with Saul. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Later in chapter 24, verse 10, it says, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. This is David talking to Saul. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. This also took place in the wilderness, a place called Engedi. Uh, actually, this has been turned into a nature preserve in Israel today. Uh, here is a picture of it. And there's one place specifically, the springs of Engedi. Perhaps this is why David was there uh, to get water uh, here in the wilderness. There were many, many caves around this area. So we're just going to briefly look at a couple of lessons from this encounter. And the first is David couldn't see the promise, but he had faith. And we come back to Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. David was anointed as king, but the promise, the fulfillment of that seemed farther than ever from being fulfilled. And in fact, the reward of seeking after God seemed also very far away to him. 
It wasn't as if David was serving at the throne or that he was the designated heir apparent to the throne. He was a fugitive, branded a criminal by the government. So he was chosen, he was anointed, and then things got very, very difficult. Uh, there's a movie called Fiddler on the Roof and a character named Tevye in it who is a Jew says, I know, I know, we're your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? And his point was that when God chooses you, actually it can make life very difficult sometimes. We might think when God chooses us that everything will be easy, but actually it's the narrow road that leads to salvation and it's the broad, easy road that leads to destruction. The disciples were chosen by Jesus and none of them had an easy life. And if you go through Hebrews 11, all of those characters, I can't think of a single one of them that had an easy life. Following after the Lord is difficult. And that's why we need faith to have that hope that the fulfillment of these promises are coming. Now, if David just looked at the circumstances, he would have probably doubted. To an objective viewer, it certainly did not appear that he was on the path to the throne. But David had faith and he believed in God and he believed in God's promises. It was something that was intangible and it seemed impossible. God was training him and he wanted him to learn how, there's probably a lot of reasons why he was in the wilderness, but one of them was so that he could understand his people. By experiencing what it was like to live at the very bottom of the ladder, David would have a deeper understanding of the struggles and the needs of the common man. And it would help him to develop a heart of compassion toward others and also for the poor and for the outcast and also a sense of justice since he himself had not received justice. We also saw already that David was learning total dependence upon God to trust in him alone, to depend on him for everything, food and water and just surviving. Total dependence on God can be a very scary lesson. Waiting on God's timing is one aspect of total dependence on him. So we see through David's interaction with Saul that he believed the fulfillment of this promise was coming. And we also see that opportunity does not equal permission. David had the opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was separated from his guards and easily within David's grasp. Many of his followers even encouraged him to do it. Now, few people, I think, would have blamed him for it. Saul was trying to kill him for years, but he did not have permission to do it. David had already shown great patience and self-restraint. Many would argue that he would be fully justified since it was something like a war to kill Saul. It practically would have been self-defense, but God would not have been pleased. And God's opinion is worth more than everyone else's combined. In today's world, technology has given us the opportunity to do many things never even dreamed about before. The internet makes almost any manner of sin easily accessible, anonymous, and at our fingertips. But that doesn't mean that we have permission to do those things. David wisely decided to patiently wait for God. 
And this is the statement that he made here. He says, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. This is the commitment that David had made. David made a commitment. I will not raise my hand against Saul, even if I have the opportunity to do so. God had anointed Saul as king. And David says, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I will not be the means by which God judges Saul. David realized that God didn't need any help. He was fully capable of deposing Saul without David's help in exactly the right time and in the right manner. David realized that vengeance is the Lord's and that the Lord would repay. Now, none of this was an act. Okay, David wasn't, it wasn't just political thing for David. When Saul died years later, David wrote a memorial for him and declared a day of mourning and fasting. We can see that David was legitimately willing to wait as long as it took for God to fulfill his promise, even though he didn't know how the journey would end. Now, because David waited, the people around him could see that his heart was pure in this. When David finally became king, it was clear that this was of God. This was God's providence, God's plan, and it was not of David. David was not usurping the throne. No one could argue or claim that since it had been so clear that this came about through God, not through David. Now, not everyone in scripture waits for God. Some took matters into their own hands. For example, Abraham and Sarah wanted to help God with the promise of a son. It ended in disaster. And it normally ends in disaster when we try to take matters into our own hands and help out God. David was willing to wait as long as it took. What are you willing? What are you waiting for? Now, it might be that you've been looking forward to something and hoping for something and waiting for something in your own life. Perhaps for marriage. Maybe you're single and you want to get married. Perhaps for a child. You would love for the Lord to give you one. Perhaps for a financial breakthrough. Maybe for a career change. Maybe you're in an ill health situation and you've been waiting for God's healing. If we take matters into our own hands, it will not end well. So I ask you today, for whatever situation you are waiting for, and you know that more than anyone else does, will you choose today to patiently wait for his timing? And to wait not with a grumbling or a complaining spirit, but enjoy knowing that if he's having you wait, he's having you to wait for a reason. Will, will we be like David and say, we will wait for God's timing, even though it is difficult right now? So we've seen two aspects of David's life in the wilderness, growing with God and waiting for God. We're going to move forward to the conclusion. And sometimes I look at this list of Hebrews 11. For almost any of them, I ask, how do they make the list? And also for David, how did David make the list of the faithful? David committed adultery and murder. In the wilderness, he also lacked faith at times. He even lied. David was a sinner like we all are. His are just more visible than ours. It's easy to look at characters in the Bible and say, oh, they're so bad. They do so many wrong things. Uh, I would be a little worried if other people wrote about me, all the things I've done, because then they could uh, do the same 
towards me. We are all sinners. Now, this list in Hebrews 11 reminds us that God is in the business of forgiving sinners. There's not one of these characters that deserves to be there by his own merit. This list is not so that we will look at and praise these people and say, Abraham is great and David is great and Gideon is great and Rahab is great and all of these people are are so great and if we could just be like them. No, this list is to show us these are, are real people. They had real sins. They had real weaknesses. They failed God many times, but God forgave them and God used them and they still had faith. And because they had faith, God said, I will come in and I will forgive you and I'll have a relationship with you. So Hebrews 11 is not a chapter that we should magnify people, but it's a chapter that we magnify Christ. And remember his sacrifice on our behalf. We can also be on the list, the book of life, not because of ourselves, but because of his grace. God is in the business of forgiving sinners. That is good news for us. From their lives, we get hope that the Lord will forgive and use us as he did them. David had a long journey in his walk with the Lord. There were bumps on the road. At times he stumbled and he fell, but God was always beside him. And we see that David hungered for his presence. We also have a journey. Where do you see yourself in this journey? Are you on the everything is smooth part like David's early life? Or are you on the everything is a disaster part walking in the wilderness? Actually, for both of them, we need the Lord. Sometimes the road is easier. David wrote the beautiful Psalm, Psalm 23, 2 and 3. He said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Sometimes we come to those green pastures, those quiet waters. We have a maybe an easier section of our life, but sometimes the road is harder. The narrow road is often difficult. Psalms 23, 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Today, we are considering the hard road. Think back over your own life for the past few years, perhaps you have faced some hard challenges. Maybe you have walked or are walking in the wilderness, the figurative wilderness. And if not, I believe you will. It seems that God takes everybody through these difficulties and trials in their life to teach them some important lessons. So the Lord wants to use your time in the wilderness to teach you. And we've seen those lessons and we'll just review them now. The Lord wants to teach you to thirst for him and not for things, to value him and his relationship more than anything else this world has to offer. He wants to teach you to have a total dependence on him, not trusting in your good job or in your bank account, but to trust in him with your future. He's also teaching desire his love more than life itself. And that's my prayer that all of us will come to the point where we can say that his love is better to us than life. He's also wanting to teach us to meditate on him without distraction. We need to have that time with him to prioritize a relationship with him and to get away from the distractions of this world and to meditate on his word, on him and on his character. 
And he wants to teach us to cling to him instead of to people. Yes, we can get good fellowship from others, but they are not a replacement for our fellowship with the Lord. And he wants us to learn to have total trust in him and to patiently wait for his timing so that whatever it is you're waiting for, that you will know God has his perfect timing. You're patient and joyful as you wait. Now, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. He is the living water. So let's not hunger and thirst for the things of this world, which are temporary and which don't satisfy. But I hope that all of us can say, as David said, my soul thirsts for you. As we pray today, I would like to invite you to come before the Lord, pray on your own, and ask God to give you this heart, a heart that thirsts for him, the desire to fellowship with him more than anything else. I'll just have one moment for silent prayer first, and then I will close. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we know that our life without you is empty, meaningless, hopeless, filled with discouragement, despair, sin, and guilt. But Lord, we don't have to live that way. Uh, In you, Lord, we can have joy and we can have peace. Uh, Lord, we have salvation in you. And so we thank you for the relationship that we can have with you through Christ and his work on the cross. Lord, we confess to you that too often we are satisfied with things, Lord, in this world, shallow, extraneous, temporary things. Lord, I pray that the lure, the appeal of these things would lessen in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, that we would be more and more attracted to you, that our love for you would grow deeper and deeper. Lord, give us that thirst and that hunger for you that would drive us, Lord, into your word, that would drive us into times of prayer, that would drive us, Lord, to meditate upon you. Lord, we pray that, as David said, that we could also say, Lord, that your love is better to us than life. Lord, for those who are facing times in the wilderness now, Lord, difficulties, I pray that they would come to know in a very real way your presence with them. Lord, I pray that you would give them your strength and your comfort, that you would lead them. And I pray, Lord, that during this time, Lord, their faith would grow more and more, Lord, in you. Lord, I pray that you would teach each one of us to have total dependence upon you. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you're with us today. We ask your blessing and your guidance during the time of discussion. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us insight into your word and give us a willing heart to obey it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.